You're listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. That you, if you are a guest with us, we are finishing the book of Acts today. Um, and of course, we're not really finishing it because we'll probably preach it again. And uh, we are part of the Acts 29 Church Planning Network, which if you're smart, you go, there is no Acts 29. So you're like, what does Acts 29 say? Like, you, you turn to it, and it, Acts 28 just ends. Like, some of our Bibles have a 29th chapter if you need it. Um, not really. But the whole idea is that the work of the gospel moving to those who have not heard and the unreached, still going on. When Jesus gave his challenge to the disciples, he goes, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come on you. You will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the end of the earth. What he is saying is, there's our trajectory. And I understand, and, and, and I've done this too, maybe you have, that like we often think about like, well, where, who's your Jerusalem? Who's your Judea? Who's your Samaria? Like, and, and, and people think like that. And I, I like, I get concentric circles. I think about my prayer life sometimes in concentric circles or mission in concentric circles. But I think my challenge for us today is to realize that really ends of the earth is always our trajectory. Like getting the gospel to those who have never heard it. Bringing Jesus to people groups who have never heard the name of Jesus, who don't have a Bible in their language, who if you brought to them Jesus from the very beginning, like, I don't even know what you're talking about. That there are uh, millions, billions, right? so many people groups and peoples in this world who have not even heard of who Jesus is, have no access to understanding who Jesus is. That that is the work that we really see going on in the book of Acts, and that is the work that we are going to continue. And so... Uh, I love the way Luke ends chapter 28 because I think he leaves it hanging, right? We love things to resolve. We love music that resolves. We love everything that kind of, it, it, it brings us back to go, okay, now it's done. And what Luke does with Acts 28 is he kind of ramps it up and then we just, we're just staying. And like even now, 2,000 years later, like we're still in the air. It does not end. We know that Paul has, he's imprisoned again. We know that he's still doing work after this, but Luke doesn't finish that. He doesn't tell you what happened to Paul at the end of Acts chapter 28. He just kind of ends it. And I think all of that is on purpose. So where are we gonna be uh, is realizing that uh, Luke is trying, I believe, to give us this idea that the gospel's still going. It's still going. And we'll see that as we get to these last few paragraphs, Luke, Acts chapter 28, verses 17 through the end. Now, where's Paul at this time? He is in Rome. Um, I didn't get to preach the passage, or I didn't preach the passage where a snake bit him on the hand and he didn't die and everyone freaked out. Like, he should be dead. That's a cool passage. Um, Shipwreck, snake bite, didn't die. uh, All on his way to Rome. And what we see is he gets to Rome and the Jews in Rome begin to hear about the gospel. Now, there were believers in Rome at that time, but the Jews who were there want to see what's going on with him. Remember, he was in Jerusalem. People tried to kill him. He goes to Caesarea. He's in Caesarea years, leaves Caesarea. He gets to Rome, and this is what he does because he appealed to Caesar. He wanted to present his case, and Paul's always thinking about bigger, unreached, where are the places that I can go to preach Jesus where he's never been preached. Like, this is his aim in life. You read the book of Romans and you see that at the end. He's like, I have no desire to go preach the gospel in places where churches exist. Zero. He's like, I don't want to do that. I'll lay on somebody else's foundation. I want to go to places, right? So you see him, he wanted to get to Spain, wants to get to Rome. He just wants to keep going to the end of the world as he knows it. 
So he's in under house arrest in Rome. So he has a place, but he's guarded, and he can't really leave. And so the people come to him, and we see in chapter, 17, or chapter 28, verse 17, he goes, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people, those would be the Jews, or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. The Jews did nothing wrong. I didn't have anything to say to them, but I needed, Caesar needed to hear my case. For this reason, verse 20, therefore I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain, that is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And they said to him, hey, we've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everyone, uh, th that everywhere it is spoken against, the sect being followers of Jesus, the way, Christianity as we might call it, but the way. So, they have a little gathering, and he says, hey, I'm, I, the hope of Israel is why I am here. And they go, we don't really see anything wrong with what you've done, and no one's brought this huge charge against you. And then verse 23, so they appointed a day for him, they were gonna come back. They came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he, Paul, expounded to them, testifying the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he says, but by what he said, but others disbelieved. So we see right there in verse 23 that when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him in great numbers, and from morning till evening he expounded. He was teaching them, testifying, preaching, teaching, and, and just explaining the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And we talked about evangelism last week. He's, uh, when they, the guy goes, are you trying to convert me? And he's like, you dang right, I'm trying to convert you. Like that's, that's of course what I'm trying to do. I would love for God to save you. I can't make it happen, but I would love for that. And we talked about uh, that, uh, J. Mike Stiles, that definition of teaching the gospel with an aim to persuade, that you want, you want to see people come to know Jesus. You long for them to know Jesus. And so you see that again right here, that idea lived out. He is trying to convince them. He wants them to see how this is Jesus. He would love for these other Jewish people to see Jesus, and we see the results. Some believe, others weren't that convinced. And this is what we can remember as we, right here and now, think about the book of Acts coming to a close. We'll have a couple more ideas here, but here's the first one. Salvation through Jesus has always been God's plan. That's what Paul's saying. That's why he says, even at the beginning, I'm here on trial, but I shouldn't really be on trial because all I'm doing is realizing that Jesus is the Messiah, the hope of Israel, and so because he's the Messiah, that's why I'm here. Because my, my, my family, my Jewish family does not receive that. They don't believe that, so they're trying to kill me. But I'm actually here because I now see Jesus 
as the fulfillment of what Moses and the prophets wrote. So he's not doing anything new. He's not bringing anything new. What he's trying to say is, this has always been the way it was gonna go. This has always been the plan that God had had. You know what, we had just missed it. We were looking for the wrong things. We looked in the wrong ways. We were expecting different things. And when Jesus came, we missed it because we were looking for someone else. But I tell you, it's Jesus. And you see him explaining from Moses and the prophets how this was all God's plan. All of it was God's plan. And then I'd like to think about plans. I'm sure many of you, or maybe some of you, are goal setters, right? It's like, new year, new me. And so you think about all these things you want to do. We were talking to my kids last night. We are like, hey, what would you like to you know, do differently in 2019? I'm not like... I'm not gonna do any kind of flagellation if you don't hit a goal. I don't, I don't ultimately care that much. But just trying to go, hey kids, what would you like to do? One kid's like, I wanna eat more vegetables. And one's like, I wanna get better at baseball. And um, so, so we're trying to like, make these plans together for 12 months from now. 12 months from now. And 12 months from now, we're gonna look back and go, we probably didn't do that that well. I remember one time I made all these goals for one year and I went through it and I was like, failed, failed failed, hey, you know, wake up in the morning, like, did that one, failed, 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 and you start to evaluate, and man, can that not get depressing when you go, how did I do over the past however long, you start to see that, and you go, I didn't do that well. (laughs) The, The thing I love is that with the Lord, that's never the case. So we even saw in Peter's speech in Acts chapter two, like, he was like, hey guys, this was, this was planned really before the foundation of time that this is how this was gonna go. And it went there. All Paul is doing is he's reiterating what he reads in the scriptures and going, look, it's Jesus. Even Jesus, after his resurrection, is going, hey guys, like let's let's, let's look at how this, look at how this works. Let me tell you how this is me. And and Paul and Barnabas and Paul and, um, and I'm sorry, Silas, they're going from place to place and synagogue to synagogue and town to town and all they're going, it's like, hey, look, look, there he is. He's right there. Of course, they didn't have Bibles to kind of hold up like that. So, you know, it's a little anachronistic, but still, look. And so all he was doing was telling them, this, these are the things that you saw would happen. These are the things that were promised. And I love that God never breaks a promise. And I love that the things he planned before the foundation of the world come to fruition because the things that I plan right now for a month or 12 months from now so often fall flat. And yet what can I do as a believer? And what can this remind me of when you see the way Paul is teaching and you see this has always been God's plan is this, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. I know some of you are walking through things that you wish you weren't walking through. Some of you are in spots you wish you weren't. Some of you feel like you're just riding high and everything's great. You're in the, some of you are in the midst of trial. Some of you are in the midst of triumph. And wherever that might be, all I would say is do not lose heart. Why? Because God knows what he's doing. And he's always known what he's doing. And there's very little to worry about. There, Paul is in prison and he's not worried. Because all he gets to do is talk to people about Jesus all the time. He's not worried. We read in one of his prison epistles, Philippians, where he's like, hey, you know what's awesome? There are some people here who are preaching the gospel and they're kind of doing it to make fun of me, but you know what? The people who are hearing it, they don't know. They just get to hear the gospel. 
They still get to hear the content of the message, even though, you know, this guy in the cell over, he's just mocking me. And so I rejoice that even in my chains, the whole guard has been able to hear about what Jesus has done. And so he's never bothered. He's never bothered because what Paul sees in the scriptures is, oh, yeah, there it is. Of course, yeah, there's Jesus. And so we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart because not only do we see as believers what God is working through salvation in Jesus from the beginning of time to death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but also what we know as as the return of Jesus is that that gives context to everything that we might even currently walk through and creates for us a longing for a life that is to come because this life that we have right now is not it. And the, the best day would stink in eternity. Your best day would be the worst. Like if you had your best day in eternity, you'd be like, I, I think I may die. This is so bad. Because the chasm between what God has promised for us in eternity through resurrected bodies and what we experience day in and day out here, what we experience day in and day out here is so wide we can't even really think about it. But what we know as we see this is that God has always been working his plan out so we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. We continue to talk about Jesus. We continue to study the scriptures. We continue to, uh, through the spirit and in what we are engaged, we continue to allow ourselves to be transformed because God is worth it in this life that we might be able to help others know him, that we might be able to grow like him, that we may be able to follow after him. He is worth it. But it is so easy to get discouraged. I've been waking up in the morning even with like, my back hurts, it's aging. And every morning I'm like, "Ah, ah." and even little things like that because you see what God is promising, you go, of course. Like this world breaks, bodies break, things break, things aren't right. We mess up, we screw up, regardless of how good we think we're doing, you know who doesn't? God. And that constant should be what keeps us going. It's what kept Paul going. Now, what happens here, because we talked even last week about how when Jesus confronts us, there is a decision point, all right? Obey, disobey, those are kind of our decisions. Obey, disobey. So when Jesus confronts us, there's a decision point, and Paul is there all day trying to teach, and we see this principle lived out. The gospel message moves toward those who will listen. Now it doesn't, what I don't mean by that is like, only everybody's ready to listen, but there is this principle that you see even Paul saying, which is, hey, you know what? I'm gonna preach to the people who are interested in what's going on right now, who want to follow after Jesus, who are looking for him. So I'm gonna preach, and those who are interested, I'm gonna continue to teach and engage them in the scriptures that they might have faith. So what we see in verse 25, some are disagreeing among themselves, and they departed after Paul had made one statement. They left the room. Paul says this, the Holy Spirit was right. I love that he's attaching the Holy Spirit writing through Isaiah, if you notice that. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For the people's hearts have grown dull, and with their ears they barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. 
people's hearts have grown dull. And so what does he say to his people, to his kin, to his nation? You know what? When the Spirit spoke through Isaiah about you, he was right. And he essentially condemns them for not being interested in the things their God is doing. You're not interested. You don't want to have anything to do with this. He's quoting Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. And so what he says in verse 28 is this. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. I would guess this is a church of Gentiles. And that is not to say that people uh, from the nation of Israel are not putting their faith in Jesus. There are Messianic Jews all over the world. So it's not to say that that isn't happening or that we don't long for that and pray for that and seek that in the same way that Paul did as you read the book of Romans. He's like, I want everybody from my nation to believe. I would rather condemn myself that they may all believe. But what he he says, and this comes from the call God gave him in Acts chapter nine, I'm gonna send you to the Gentiles. Because what they receive when when Paul shows up in their world, it's like, you can be saved through Jesus. What? and you don't follow the law. His grace is free and it's there for you. And so we have seen this work itself out, that there has been an era, epoch, however you wanna put it, a time in history where Gentiles are coming to faith all over the world. And so we see that turn. And notice these things are how the book of Acts is ending. It's kind of setting up where it's going to go. This is what the Spirit's doing as Luke is writing this. And so he goes, the Spirit was right. These people shut him down. He goes, well, this is clearly what we already saw happening in Scripture. Isaiah says as much about you. You're not listening. So listen now to the Gentiles the gospel is going to go because they're going to listen. You know, the hard part, though, for me as a believer is I never know who's listening and who's not. Even in this room, I never know who's listening and who's not. Somebody could be half asleep and they're listening, and somebody else could be, like, looking right at me, and all they're thinking about is groceries. Like, I never know. I never know who's listening. And so I, I don't think it's wise for us to kind of have listening, not listening as our marker for people because we really never know what's stirring in their heart. And so our obedience is the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. But absolutely, we never know when somebody goes, you know, I'd like to hear more. Can you share more? And it was interesting, even recently, we had a group of folks go out into a neighborhood and just knock on doors and invite to community group and say, this is what's going on. Um, And the amount of conversations that happened about the Lord with people who might never show up in this room first and foremost it's just crazy. They go, oh, people don't, people don't want to talk about Jesus, and you know, they don't want to answer the door. I'm like, well, clearly, you just kind of walk around, and you tell them what's going on, and they're happy to hear. Not everybody will. Um, I, I was recently talking to somebody, and he was like, hey, listen, just so you know, I probably won't engage you much on that. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not here to determine the condition of your heart at all. That's the Lord's work to do. But as people listen, you share with them. As they're interested, you share. And so the principle makes sense. 
They said that's where it flows because God's doing a work there through the obedience of the bringer of the message and the, and the work of the spirit to bring conviction upon the one who is hearing and we never know when those two worlds will collide because we don't know him and his mind and his thoughts because we're not eternal. Those are his thoughts, his mind, his work. And so I think we just need to pray. We pray that people would be tender towards the Lord. And we pray that we might grow in obedience and boldness to share Jesus with people. And where there's interest, you share, and where there's disinterest, you go, okay, and you continue to pray. We saw that habit throughout. When Paul would go to his city and he'd preach, there would be those who would listen and those who wouldn't. And so he would just continue to talk to those who would listen. In Ephesus, he's just teaching. Anybody who wants to hear, for years, he's just teaching about the Lord. You don't have to come. You don't want to go and listen to him teach? You could leave. Jesus, isn't this interesting? Jesus was kind of the same way. Hey, you don't have to follow me. You don't have to. You can go on and live your life for yourself. Not going to work, but go ahead and do it. Because when he calls, we follow. When people would try to make a deal with him to like follow after a certain amount of time or a little while from now, he'd be like, mm-mm. Let the dead bury their own dead. I'm asking you to come. So I think Paul is just doing the same thing that Jesus did, which is I'm gonna to continue to proclaim the good news and those who are following will be interested and will continue to engage and those who are not won't. But an amazing thing is if you just talk to people about whether or not they're interested, very often they are. That's not exclusive, I know that's not exclusive, and so we can't say, well, in every situation. But if you actually just broach the subject of life or spirituality or what the gospel means, people will talk about it. They may only talk to you once, but they'll talk about it. Now, this last idea I love, this is we get to the end of the book. Our circumstances don't change the gospel's power or reach. Remember where Paul is. He's in prison. He doesn't have email. He can't text. The postal service isn't great. You can't mail something and have it overnighted directly to Jerusalem. Everything takes time. And listen to how Luke ends this part. He lived, Paul lived there in Rome in this house two years at his own expense and he welcomed all who came to him, which is kind of that principle from last, the last, just the last paragraph. All who came to him. Yeah, come on, man, let's talk about it. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That last phrase is why the whole series is called unhindered. Look again at verse 31. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Teaching with all boldness, teaching without hindrance, which is interesting when you think about the fact that Paul couldn't leave his house. Without hindrance? Clearly you were hindered. You couldn't go out. You couldn't go down to the synagogue. You could only talk to people who came to your house. You could only do that kind of work. And yet Luke is describing this as an unhindered proclamation of the gospel. 
this is why I love how this book ends, is because so often we will use phrases like this, if only I were X, Y, Z. If only I lived in a neighborhood where people went outside. Or if only I you know, worked where people liked one another. Or if only I knew more people. Or you know, I, I just live like this and I don't really know anybody. If only I knew more people. And we have all these phrases to kind of explain away why we aren't zealous for God. Like I really would do it, but these situations kind of hinder my ability to do it. I do the same thing. If only my kids weren't crazy. You know, it's just a busy season. It's a busy time. I have never heard someone not use that phrase. Like, when are you not in a busy season? When is it not busy? When is life not exhausting? Like, retirement doesn't make it less exhausting. You just fill more time. Like, I was busier, I'm busier retired than I was when I was working. Right, because then grandkids show up, and now you're chasing grandkids around all over the place, and it's like your schedule gets full. And yet, brothers and sisters, we will always say things like, man, I, I just, I want to, but, I really want to share, but, I'd love to do that, but. And then here, what do we see? Paul in prison, preaching boldly and without hindrance. Why? Because it wasn't about the circumstance or stage of life or season that defined his obedience. So I have to think for us this. Don't be shackled by your circumstances. It's a lie. Don't be shackled by your circumstances. You never get less busy. Life never gets less full. You never get, usually, unless there's some kind of imbalance, right? Like, you're always tired. That's like, that's like the phrase we use to ask anybody how they're doing. How are you doing? Tired. How are you doing? Tired. I mean, like, like, try to answer that question without saying tired. Yeah, Jacob's. Don't fall asleep yet, bro. We're getting close, though. And so what is that circumstance in your own life where you go, I would, I would be more bold for the Lord if. And just repent of that phrase. And pray for boldness, because that's what we see the believers in Acts doing. Praying for boldness. After Peter's persecuted, and he goes and tells them what happens early in the book of Acts, and the disciples gather together, and they're like, make us more bold! Not like, maybe we should try somewhere else, right? Like, this doesn't seem to be working. We need to go to you know, happy people who aren't trying to kill us. They just go, make us more bold. So when we say circumstance, when I say circumstance, may that not be a phrase that we speak of, well, oh man, if only I. Right? I've used this one too, and it's hard, because I don't know any lost people. Well, meet some. There are lots. There are lots. Meet one. Like, you don't have to meet a hundred. I had a mentor who, for a while, as he was young in ministry, he just goes, I just wanted, I, I might get the math wrong. He goes, I was always praying for one person a year who didn't know the Lord that I can invest in and two people who did. That, that, like, that's just kind of that steady chipping away. 
One person who doesn't know the Lord that I can invest in, share Jesus with, and two people who did know the Lord that I could disciple. Now, God may give you a million more than that. But sometimes we get overwhelmed going, well, how am I gonna meet 700 people and have them all come to my house and preach them about the gospel? No, 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 that was Paul style. You don't need Paul style, you need yours. But we as believers should, really shouldn't say, I don't know any non-believers. You might have birthed some, for one. You're probably neighbors with some. If you just reach, like knock on their door and go, hey, I'm so-and-so, who are you? Tell me your story. Like, you'll find them pretty quickly. Oh, that just seems unnatural. Okay, I, I get it. So I'm gonna say, say this. I don't, I don't mean this like crassly, but hopefully jokingly. It just, just seems unnatural to just go meet people. Okay, well, you're not meeting people. It hasn't helped you find any. So... Maybe we need to change up how we meet people and how we care for people and how we love people. I was working in the yard doing drainage stuff like crazy. So we had these landscaper guys and they were there. And like a kid trying to help with dinner, with their parents for dinner, I was like, hey, can I help you with the landscaping? Like, give me a shovel. So that's why I have blisters on my hands. Like, give me a shovel and you just tell me where to dig. I think they had to fix everything that I did. But when you're the homeowner, they feel kind of bad saying no, right? Because you're the one paying. And so I was like, where do you want me to dig? What do you want me to do? And just, I kid you not, working outside over the course of a day, I, I met three neighbors just because they wanted to see what was going on. Hey, sorry, I haven't met you yet. Yeah, we live over here. We're so-and-so. One came into the house. You know, she's like, I've known every neighbor that's ever been here. And I'm like, okay, great. That's cool. Like, so she walks in. I'm like, well, you want to see it? Come on in. Like, here's this. Here's that. This is what we've done. And so, like, it, again, maybe just change your strategy. So, like, with me, with the kids, like, they like to play catch, football, baseball. Your kids may not like to play catch. That's okay. You could play in the backyard, which is often where we go, but if you play in the front yard, you actually might meet people. It's just a different strategy. It's just a different place to play catch. I'm still doing my thing, playing catch, but backyard, meet zero people. Front yard, you can see people. I had a friend in Baton Rouge who... Actually, like, they were like, hey, where does so-and-so live? I'm like, he lives in the house that is full of junk in the yard. Like, oh, that one. It wasn't really junk. But they just kind of camped out in the front yard. They had a fire pit, they had chairs, they had bikes, they had stuff for kids. And so like, you would, I would just drive by sometimes. And what's happening is like, we're just ordering pizza, there's ordering pizza and all the neighbors are just starting to come over. Why? Because they moved an area of space and how they kind of did their life. They just moved it to the front yard. And it was crazy the amount of people, and he was an elder at his church, hopefully no one from his church is listening, but he used this line with me. He's like, I kind of like these people more than I like my church members. So that's pretty common. Just kidding, I love you all, all you guys. But when you meet people who just like, they have no pretense. They're very happy not knowing Jesus, or it seems to be. And so they're just them. They're not trying to impress for the pastor or do anything else. They're just talking. And so I would just kind of leech off of what he was doing. I'd text him at the end of the day, go, hey, you doing your, you have anybody out in the yard? And he'd go, no, not today. Or sometimes he just texts a picture of the fire pit. I'm like, I'll be right there. We get on our bikes and we head on down the road. Why? So you could get to know people. It's not that they don't exist. It's just that so often We've been shackled by our circumstance. And we've made that an excuse for our, what honestly is disobedience. I've done it, I'm sure you've done it, we've all done it. And the grace of Jesus is there for us. 
He's not sitting around going, well, you know, on January 1st, you could have done X and you didn't, and so now, you know, go over there. He doesn't do that with us because he's gracious and he's loving. But as people who have been saved by grace, we said last week there's a story to tell. I love how the book of Acts ends. I was reading this commentary kind of throughout, Daryl Bach's commentary, and he says this about Acts in summary. God is the hero of Acts. And the plot line is how he reveals his word through Jesus and a faithful church. God will make sure it happens, and so will a faithful church. My prayer for us is that we're a faithful church, doing the things that God has before us. I believe we can be, because it's his spirit, and it's his work, and it's his salvation. And all we really do like mirrors is reflect him. Look at that guy. Don't look at me. Look at him. So let me pray now for our faithfulness. Father, as your people, we thank you for the book of Acts. We thank you that the gospel continues and that it is unhindered. We thank you for the life that we have together in Jesus. And we ask God for boldness as a church, the ability to preach and proclaim and to share with all boldness, by the power of your spirit, sharing, proclaiming, teaching about the good news of Jesus. Lord, may that message continue to the ends of the earth, and we would pray, Lord, that you would refine us as a church family, that we would be faithful to you. And even in our unfaithfulness, Lord, we know that you are faithful, and we praise you for that. So, Father, take us broken, wounded, tired people and form in us bold men, women, and children who will proclaim your gospel, speaking of Jesus to all. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.